0: Don't think I will even ask you to make Jesus Lord of your life. That's the most preposterous thing I could ever tell you to do. Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, whether you serve him or not, whether you bless him, curse him, hate him or love him. He is the Lord of your life because God has given him a name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus Christ, every knee shall bow and tongue confess that he is Lord. Some of you will bow out of the grace that has been given to you and others will bow because your kneecaps will be broken by the one who rules the nations with a rod of iron. And I'll not apologize for this God of the Bible. Hey, everybody, thanks for listening and tuning in to For the King. This podcast is dedicated to the king, and what we do on this podcast is proclaim the edicts of the king, namely and chiefly that Yahweh reigns. So I was recently on a podcast, uh, an agnostic atheist podcast called The Bible Says What, with an you know question mark exclamation point. Um, and the the guy that runs the podcast, his name is Michael Wiseman. And I was on the podcast to um what I thought would would be to um as I quote, to discuss your worldview, what it is, where it comes from, and how it ties into the Bible. So this is what he said. You can look at the the cover image of the podcast, just documenting what he told me um, we were going to be discussing. So then I ask, um, you know, just curious what your position is. Are you a Christian? What position are you coming from? Um... You know, I asked, you know, am I defending my position or am I just describing it to you? And and he never says anything, you know, said anything in response to that. You can go on his podcast on Apple, on Apple podcast and look at the reviews. And there's many Christians that went on there that said, you know, he didn't say, you know, what we were going to be talking about. I just kind of went in and, you know, he tried to make me look stupid. And then he uploaded it anyways when I asked him not to. Um, So... I saw that and I thought it would be fine. I didn't think it would be a big deal. I was happy to go on there and talk about Christianity. And, you know, if you go listen to it, I'm going to put the link in for the, the interview with him. You know, if you go check it out, obviously that's not what happened. Uh, we talked about his worldview the entire time, the way he reads the Bible, the way he thinks about the world. Um, he had a you know good question at the start when we were able to talk about like something I had said on my podcast. And, you know, that was good. I should be able to defend you know something I publicly state. And we talked about it. Uh, But then he just started coming up with random stuff that I was not prepared to talk about at all. So you can see me in the podcast fumbling around and obviously not having good answers to everything because I didn't know what he was going to ask and I don't have all knowledge. So I wasn't able to coherently respond to some of his objections, but I hope to do that in this episode of the podcast. So when you go listen to it, um, maybe if I didn't give a satisfactory answer, I can, I can do that now, mostly on his textual variant stuff. I like obviously, stand by um you know the things I, I said metaphysically about who God is and how I portrayed Christ. I mean, I stand by all that um but i I didn't really get a chance to talk about my worldview i didn't I didn't get to you know that's what he said he wanted to discuss, and we actually didn't I didn't get to tell him at all really what I believe besides what he you know jerry rigged through the questioning to to force me to make a statement. About yes, something I believe, but not the whole story. So I kind of want to paint a broader, uh, broader picture uh, with the story here. Um, so th- another big, big ticket item I wanted to talk about before I get into it, you know, he claimed to be an agnostic atheist. You know, that's somebody that um, lacks a belief in God, which is, you know, that that's his belief claim. And, but then he's agnostic concerning his knowledge. You know what he knows yet throughout our whole conversation he knew enough about the knowledge of god namely his lack thereof that i also can't know so he wasn't really defending the agnostic atheistic position he was saying that i, I can't know um how do you know there's a god you know and I, I would tell him why and then he knew enough about that belief which apparently he says he doesn't know whether there's a god or not but that 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 doesn't work for him right so he's actually positing um you know a true belief about god so I just thought it was it was inconsistent, and whenever you talk to these people, that that's kind of that's kind of how it goes, right? Um, so getting into some of the objections, I'm just going to walk through. Um, I, I went back and listened to the the interview, and I'm going to go you know as best I can through chronological order of of the objections and the things we talked about. So the first big item we talked about was theocracy. Um, So theocracy is inevitable. That's my position. I was trying to walk him through, and I I didn't really get to explain really what I think about um, theocracy, what I I think about um, politic from a Christian perspective. So what he was painting me as in the podcast, uh, in the interview, was an ecclesiocracy. Okay, what I'm advocating for, what I think Christianity teaches is not an ecclesiocracy, but rather a theocracy. Um, And he didn't you know, we didn't we didn't get to get into that at all. I think it would have made for an interesting discussion. So there's been theocracies in the past that. um, The person. Let's just think about Egypt. You had a human claiming to be God. Um, which you know that that 's the, the the God is ruling over the society as Pharaoh on earth right, and, and that would be that, that would be a theocracy and that 's happened before but that 's not what the Christian believes about the politic when I say theocracy, I say God is ruling but he 's not he 's not a person he 's not reigning um, you know he 's reigning on earth through his church in that sense, but i don 't want to eccles uh, 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 I don't want ecclesiocracy. I don't want um, the church to be our civil government, uh, and I think that's what he was afraid of, and what he thinks my position is that that I think you know um, the Baptist Church, you know the Reformed Baptist Church, whatever that would be, the Southern Baptist Convention, I don't know, whatever is you know what our our government should be. The the elders and deacons in the church are the ones that are ruling over society. I don't think that at all. I I, I think that. That's, that's wrong. The Bible, um, has jurisdictional, um, differences between those two, um, spheres of government. The church being one sphere of government that is tasked with being the pillar and buttress of truth and administering the, the sacraments and proclaiming the gospel to the nation. The state doesn't administer the sacraments or proclaim the gospel to the nations and do things like that. That's not the job of the state. But when I say a theocracy, I mean that God is ruling over it. So, um, Con- concerning the the principles of law that we're getting in our society, it's theocratic, and it's the same sense that we get in these secular, atheistic, usually communist, socialistic societies. Um, they still have a theos, they still have a god, they still have metaphysical operating principles that produce the laws and ideas that trickle down into society in the way that they rule. Uh, that's what I mean by the theocracy is inevitable. Um, so we maintain a separation between church and state, not a, separa- not a separation between God and state. So, you know, fundamentally, our, our nation was founded as a theocracy with the human form, the human organizational politic was a constitutional republic. And I think a constitutional republic is a perfectly fine and amazing way to, to do politics. I think that that's good. I don't want to replace our constitutional republic with a, with a ecclesiocracy. I want the, the human aspect of our government to be const- a constitutional republic because I'm a patriot and I, I love the Christian heritage we have in our country. But I, I want us to recognize, I want the state to recognize where it's, it's assumptions, it's presuppositions, it's metaphysical principles that, that trickle down and produce the laws or the constitution that we have, um, is, is theocratically, uh, Yahweh as its as its God, not not uh, secular atheism as its God, in the sense of where you're deriving your principles. So that that hopefully kind of gets into more what I really do think about a theocracy. I don't want to change. I, I don't want to change the the structure of our government. It should remain a constitutional republic. That's great. The founding fathers did a great job. I want us to get back to recognizing that um, we have an inalienable rights from God. Right, the rights that we have, the the laws that are produced, those those come from God. Those don't come from the subjective state. The state is just how we organize ourselves um, as humans. So I think that's a big point uh, that I want to get across here of what I really believe about that. There's there's um, you know all of our public offices they would vow uh, uh, to uphold the Constitution with their hands on a Bible. They swore they had a connection to God through the state. Um, I think that that's what I mean. But now if we were to not swear on the Bible, then then our, you know, our atheistic overlords would be swearing on, you know, whatever system they have to develop laws um, or their ethical system where they produce their laws from, you know, utilitarianism or deontology, whatever virtue theory, whatever ethical system you want to try to produce your, your laws from. Um, that would be your theos. That would be your starting your your all inclusive principle that is governing how you do things, which sounds a lot like God, right? Um, so, okay, there's that. Um, he brought an objection. You know, why has God not revealed Himself to us? Why hasn't God said hi? I mean, I stand by what I said in in the podcast in the interview that God has revealed Himself through His Word and through natural revelation through all of creation. It is abundantly evident. I, you know, I stand by Paul's writings in uh, Romans one that um, God has made Himself abundantly clear in His creation, but not so clear that they, the humans, are able to achieve salvation of their own merit. So God has revealed Himself to us, and, and Mike is suppressing that truth. That's what I was, you know, saying in the podcast. He's su- he suppressed the truth of of the existence of God, even though it's it's evident and clear. But the kind of evidence that he Uh, wants to have is is God coming down and saying, hi, you know, God has to prove himself to him. Um, but really it's not about proving himself. We have tons of stories of obviously Jesus healing people and doing miracles, right in people's faces. We have God, you know, um, splitting the Red Sea. and, And there were still people that didn't believe even when those physical things happened. So I don't think Mike would be appeased. If God physically showed himself, he would say it's a hoax or he would say, you know, I just don't buy it. That's not enough for him. Um, he brought up uh you know I said how you know atheism has produced way more deaths than than religion ever has so he brings up the crusades and the salem witch trials um you know those things happened in spite of I mean I don't know the history of them perfectly so I'm sure it's been misconstrued to some extent but you know Stalin's um Russia and Mao's China you know those are necessary conclusions of atheism atheism doesn't have um, it, it doesn't have the tools and I push this a lot in the interview it doesn't have the tools to provide an ethic that's binding on all humans uh, because fundamentally if you if you are an atheist, your best shot at trying to describe how life began on earth and what humans are is to say that we 're animals right We see all these animals around and we have similar things to them. I have a canine like a dog has a canine, and I have a liver like a dog has a liver. Well, then we must be an animal, right? We share so many characteristics with it. And then we have Darwinism coming in. And, and this is their best attempt to describe what humans are in a, in a purely physical way. So if we are just animals, I kept pushing back with him at this. You know, I asked is nature ever wrong? He thought it was an odd question. Uh, my point in asking that is... Does nature ever do anything wrong? Are we actually products of our environment? Are we really animals? because in the animal kingdom, there's lots of things that we would say are heinous if humans were to do them, like I brought up chickens uh you know roosters, raping hens. that happens all the time. Are they doing anything wrong um you can't demonstrate that from from an atheistic framework. if there is no God there's no higher power you there's not a belief in God, but you don't know so you claim agnosticism, your knowledge you don't have any any basis to claim. Anything is true. I'm um, um, as an atheist. You can't know anything for certain. I mean, I really didn't get to push as hard as I wanted to. But he was saying that, like, um, well, I'll get to his ethical system that he brought up. But um, concerning the Crusades and Stalin and Zedong, um, Crusades and the Salem witch trial happened in spite of Christianity, in spite of what it teaches. We shouldn't be burning people at the stake without due process of law. If they are, if they are found to be doing something wicked and evil, that would you know, be garnered uh, such a punishment could be garnered, you know, um, is it loving to, uh, for God's law to play out? Um, so, so he, he, he claimed that God's law is unloving and it's wicked and God's a baby murderer, you know, and all that. And I'll get to some of those objections, but, um, let's see if it's loving for God's law to be played out. Um, so I have a bunch of his textual stuff that he brought up. Um, so disobeying parents is as evil as murder is. That's my claim. Um, so let's look at Leviticus 20 verse 9. If there's anyone who curses his father or his mother, he shall certainly be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother and has brought his own death upon himself. And then we have a similar law in Deuteronomy 21:18 through 21. If any person has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father or his mother, and when they discipline him, he does not listen to them, then his father and mother shall seize him, and they'll bring him out to the elders of the city at the gateway of his hometown. And they shall say to the elders of his city, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious, he does not obey us, he is thoughtless and given to drinking. Then all the men of his city shall stone him to death, so you shall eliminate the evil from your midst, and all Israel will hear about it in fear. Why would God make a law like this? How can a loving God, how can a benevolent God possibly make a law like this? Well, he must have something in mind that he's trying to protect, protect. Laws depict what should be protected in society. It depicts what the God of the society thinks is best. So in atheism, we see a protection for, for abortion. We think it's really good to rip you know little tiny humans out of, out of the womb, right? So it's, if that law is you know, there, then what it's teaching is that um, that we need to protect the right for a woman to destroy her progeny. Okay. That that's what that's teaching. So th- this law is teaching that it's extremely problematic and damaging to society when you have a human that doesn't respect authority, that doesn't that doesn't obey authority. Now, this isn't a one-time offense. This this law isn't talking about a baby that starts crying when the mom doesn't give it what it wants. Okay? That's that's not a stubborn and rebellious son. That's not what this is talking about. This man is Thoughtless, and he's given to drinking. You know, this is not a a twelve year old that's acting like a little punk. This is a grown man that a grown a grown man in his young age, still still a son and under his mother and father's um, jurisdiction, their authority, and he has cursed them, which is invoking you know this metaphysical idea of another god to to uh, do ill to his parents. Um, he is rebellious and stubborn towards them. This is uh, a great example of this is in the Uvalde uh, shooting in Texas recently. This man um, did not have – he was rebellious. His, he didn't have a dad in the picture. Uh, his mom – You know, the, the, he did not have good parents, and he was a person that was rebellious against society. He didn't have a good family. Therefore, lots of children died. So what God is protecting here is the sanctity of the family and how important it is to have a strong family where kids are raised up well and obey authority. Because then if that doesn't happen, you'll get, you'll get school shooters. So in an article I was reading on uh, Chalcedon, they were basically saying, you know, um, if the child is put to death, then then the, the alternative – if the child is not put to death, then the alternative is then that society is then put to death. Civilization is put to death as as – you know you you continue to have wayward children that are destructive in society like we see in the Uvalde Texas shooting okay so that that's what's happening in this law this isn't a one and done this isn't a kid that's that's whining this is somebody that's cursing their parents invoking foreign gods to do ill to their parents they're stubborn and rebellious and and it's it's a grown man uh is what this this is talking about. And again, they come to the elders of the city to weigh the situation, to determine in a court of law whether or not this person is doing such a thing. Now, I want to bring up here as we continue talking about these laws that people think are barbaric now in our society. Um, we take the general equity. We, because we're not ancient Israel, we don't we don't – I'm not an obligatory theonomist where we take these laws one for one and implement them in society. I don't think we have to do the, the death penalty for curses and a stubborn and rebellious son. I think it could look like um, he has to, you know, do service in the community, a different kind of he has to pay this fine. He has to some other way to get across some some other kind of chastisement to, to get the point across that he ought not to be doing this and he should repent. And if there is repentance, then, then, then uh, he's turned away from this wicked act. He's not committing it any longer and now there has been damage done but if he if there is repentance then he doesn't have to be put to death but with something like murder you can't take that back you can't repent of that it's the deed has been done and it's a permanent deed now it must be you know the death penalty must be played out in capital punishment so I don't think, you know, John Calvin talks about this in his institutes, that we don't have to invoke the death penalty for some of these wicked things. We can, if if your society is righteous enough to where you don't need that strong of a deterrent to keep people from doing it, you can do something like a fine or public service or some other kind of way of of um, playing this law out. So um, another, another um Point he brought up is that God starves and murders children. I said, yeah, that's just like how Mao and Stalin did it. Um, therefore, God is evil. The difference between Mao and Stalin starving children is they had no right to. God, because again, you know, Mike can't put this in his framework. because there's there's no there's no higher power. There's no metaphysical. There's nothing metaphysical in life because uh, the atheist has to claim materialism um, if there is no higher power. So if um, you know there has been. Uh, a, if there has been a human that has rebelled against God, God has every right to take life. He gives life and he can take it away. Um, God has the right and the prerogative to do that. Mao and Stalin don't. So Mao and Stalin actually are evil, and God is not evil for you know murdering. Uh, uh, sorry, not murdering a child. He kills children. Murder is is premeditated without just cause. Um, God is perfectly just to allow a uh, a famine to come on the land and to starve children. That that's perfectly fine in God's world. He can do whatever he wants. He doesn't owe humanity anything. And that's very clear. If you believe that there's a creator that's given life, he can take it away. Um, You might think that's evil because obviously you don't believe there's a God. So obviously you're going to say that's evil. But in my framework, if you were to, if you were to take on my presuppositions, then that, that's not, that's not an issue, right? It's not evil because we have wrong God. We've sinned against him. So his ethical system that he lays out in the podcast was empathy, common sense, and do no harm. I kept bringing up um okay there's people there are masochists in society there are people that like to do harm to themselves that's honestly what working out is it's you creating micro tears in your muscles so that your muscles come back stronger right that's a small pain that you're taking on yourself so that you can be better right so he says to do no harm right so that's his ethical system now if i came up and punched him in the face you know he would have to abide by his ethical system or you know he's a hypocrite right um Right he he could do he would have to do me no harm even though I'm doing him harm now I brought up masochists and people that cut themselves, and he said you know let's not talk about them let's keep this you know between us and I, I'll get to that later, but that's kind of an odd statement that he doesn't want to talk about the real world, what actually happens in the world um, and he wants to impose his morality of do no harm on the masochist and and my 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 point is, how do you get such a thing as do no harm?" which is an idea of not doing harm, not actually not doing harm. It's a metaphysical ethical system to not do harm is an idea. And it's played out in the real world by never doing harm. So how does an atheist have any morality at all? I don't know. He never told us, um, he kept talking about common sense, you know, there, common sense only goes as far as everybody agrees and can recognize it as common sense. There is laws of logic and reason. But not everybody abides by those. Why must they abide by those? Even if they're real in the world, why? If an animal goes in, you know, if a chicken rapes another chicken, you know, did the animal do anything wrong? He did – in the animal kingdom, there's harm done all the time to other animals. Uh, If we're just an animal, why can't I cannibalize? Why can't I do harm to someone else? He says it's just self-evident and obvious. Well, it's not obvious to the atheist because he has no – he has no morals. He has no – there's no metaphysical framework to fit that in. That was my point in bringing up all my objections. Um, and, and obviously he, he can't admit um, that his ethical system doesn't work as an atheist. That, um, you know, Fyodor Dosetsky, a uh, Russian author, claimed if there is no God, then anything is permissible. And I think that's correct. That's, you know, there are so many atheists that recognize this. And, and your, new, your new atheist, the, your common modern day atheist, wants all of Christian morality without bending the knee to Christ. And utterly, it's it's you know it's it's theft. They they're stealing from the Christian worldview, so they can they can you know he thought it was so obvious that I don't think I should do harm to others, and he doesn't think he should do harm to others. But it's not obvious for him because I have literally the golden rule laid out in Scripture by Christ: "Do unto others as you have you would have done unto you." Um. So his ethical system doesn't work. He also talked about empathy and talked about how animals have empathy. Um, I don't know why empathy is good. Some animals don't have an empathy, like a jellyfish. Uh why why is empathy better? Um so I don't know. Th- those are poking some me attempting to poke some holes in his argument. Um obviously he doesn't think it sticks. So here's another law um that we were talking about. Why um these these rape laws? So we have um If there is a girl who is a virgin betrothed to a man and another man, sorry, I'm sorry, guys, I'm reading from Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 23 to uh, 29. If there's a girl who is a virgin betrothed to a man and another man finds her in the city and sleeps with her, then you shall bring them both out of the gate of that city and you shall stone them to death. That girl, because she did not cry out for help, though she was in the city and the man, because he has violated his neighbor's wife, so you shall eliminate the evil from among you. So why is she evil for this guy forcing her upon uh, himself upon her because she could have cried out and called for help but it seems like she wanted it and she liked it maybe she's seen this man around the town and she was hoping right that he would he would force himself upon her so that's why she's evil because this is a betrothed woman uh this is a woman that is to be married uh and in this in this society being betrothed is not Something you break off like we can in engagement. It's an even stronger binding thing. She she is essentially married. She's betrothed. And you, you, that can't happen. Um, and because of that, because she, she could have cried out and she didn't, Then now they're both stoned because she was also wicked in her heart. Um, continue on in verse 25, but if the man finds the girl who is betrothed in the field and the man seizes her and rapes her, then only the man who raped her shall die. And you are not to do anything to the girl. There's no sin in the girl worthy of death. For just as a man rises against his neighbor and murders him, so is this case. When he found her in the field, the betrothed girl cried out and there was no one to save her. So in this instance, she could have cried out all she wanted. And maybe she didn't cry out because she knew nobody would hear her. She's not wrong in this situation. He forced himself upon her and she didn't want it. Uh, He was violating her. And that's wrong. And like I said earlier, the atheist doesn't have any framework to put into that because rape happens all the time in the animal kingdom. And their best attempt at, at describing what a human is is to say that we're just, we're an animal. There's very similar things to us in this world. They're called animals. And rape happens often in that um, in that uh, system in the animal kingdom, so they don't have the tools to say that this is wrong. I have a law I just quoted you that is God telling us that it's better to not rape a woman. it's wrong, and you it's worthy of death but then but then all of a sudden we have this this odd law right after right on the heels of these two rape laws where you you are you, capital punishment isn't enacted on you if you do it all of a sudden in verse twenty eight In 29, if a man finds a girl who is a virgin who is betrothed, then he seizes her and has sexual relations with her and they are discovered. Then the man who had had sexual relations with her shall give the girl's father 50 shekels of silver and she shall become his wife because he has violated her. He is not allowed to divorce her all his days. So this is, um, this is fornication, which is wrong, um. However, the word completely changes from the preceding instances of rape where the word shazak is used, and that is translated as forces her. But all of a sudden, the verb changes here to tapas, uh, tapas, which means to take hold of or to seize. So if a man finds a girl who is a virgin who is not betrothed and he takes a hold of her, he embraces her, and has sexual relations with her and they are discovered. Then he just has to pay her and then marry her. So what, what this law is teaching is not... This is not a woman that is resisting this man. This is a woman that likes this, this guy. And wants to have sex with him. But they're not married. This is this is fornication. And it's wrong and it's evil. But um, this, is, this is expected between obviously young people. Want to have sex. And um, God is... The punishment for this man is to pay the bride price for her. And... Um and to marry her to to be faithful to her to marry her and to do things he, the way he ought to fornication in this in this instance isn 't as wicked as you know um, isn 't as destructive to society as a betrothed woman who has been forced upon and raped right that 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 requires death, but this isn 't a a woman that is raped he has violated her chastity because she is not betrothed to him and to and is not married to him, therefore he shouldn 't have sex with her, but this isn 't a violation of rape. This is a woman that is this is consensual sex. Um and God is protecting the sanctity of marriage by the punishment of this act to be that they they ought to get married. And the man the man is responsible for for you know uh captivating this woman to uh making her, you know, seducing her and wanting her to to have sexual relations with him. And and she was consensual in this. That that's what's being articulated here. Um okay, so there's that law. Hopefully that made sense. Mike claimed he didn't know where the universe came from, and he says that's a perfectly fine answer. You cannot know. You can be an agnostic. It's okay to not know. So my question is, why do science – You know, why are we curious as humans? Why do we feel like we need to know? But apparently he's perfectly fine with not knowing why the universe is here. Um, I don't know why he's fine with that. I That thought plagued me for a very long time when I was an atheist, and I did not believe in God. Uh, I, I It made no sense why there was something rather than nothing. To say that nothing creates something is incoherent and illogical. And that is that is the best shot that Mike has to account for the universe. So even from the get-go, some of the most biggest questions, the most important questions we have as humans, he can't answer. And he can try his best to develop an ethical system, which is also very important to humans, uh, while stealing from Christianity. So he just was perfectly fine with not knowing where the universe comes from. And I he, he says, you know, it's a God. I'm positing a God of the gaps that... I can't figure it out either, therefore, um, you know, God is my answer. Well, no, what what if it's what if it's actually very likely that it can't be figured out because God created it, and that is the answer. You know, he he doesn't want he can't entertain that thought, uh, which is actually pretty inconsistent with his agnosticism. You know, he just says he doesn't know, but he doesn't want to entertain the thought because he doesn't have enough evidence. Um yeah, it just all falls apart. So let's move on to 2 Corinthians 4 4, he brought up. Uh, he, he said, you know, who, who's the, who, who is the God of this world? And I, you know, I said, you know, Yahweh created the earth. He is the God that owns the whole world. And he says, wrong. It is second Corinthians in second Corinthians four, four. In those case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they will not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So in the podcast, I tried to walk him through that, you know, Satan had been given authority over, over the world, right. In terms of the, the nations we can see in Luke chapter four, when uh, Jesus is tempted in the wilderness, Satan says, you know, look at all the nations of the world. I can give them to you. Satan's not lying here. I mean, some people say he's lying, but it's very clear that uh, Satan really was, was the god of the, wor- of the world in that old age. Um, but that word world here, guys, um, is actually aeon. It's not, it's not world. Um, I forget what the, what the word that's usually translated as world is. But um, it actually should be translated as uh, he's the god of this age. This wicked age. So the Israelites were tasked with proclaiming the gospel to the ends of the earth. They didn't do that. They didn't teach people the knowledge of of God. Um, Like in Habakkuk 2, Habakkuk 2, the knowledge of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. They didn't do that. So Christ comes and accomplishes what we couldn't do, right? And he wins the nations back to himself. So that is what's happening here. Obviously, you can't expect an agnostic atheist to use the scripture properly and to interpret it well. He he wants the he wants the Bible to contradict itself, so he's going to interpret 2 Corinthians 4 4 as Satan being the God of this world and actually, you know, God is is contradicting himself. Uh Jesus says in Matthew 28, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Uh, you know, that's what he had. But as this old age is passing away, uh the God of this age. And First uh, Corinthians seven fourteen and First uh, John two says that the 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 form of this world is passing away, and the new heavens and the new earth come in in Christ. So that is what the Bible is talking about here. That Satan is in a, it, it, he really was the, the god of this world in the sense that he had um, this kind of authority over the nations, over the world, over the, over over the you know the, the earth itself. He he walked to and fro throughout the whole earth and and he was leading people astray and prowling around like a roaring lion. But now um, the, the nations, the the God of this world. It says in in the book of John, the God of this world is now cast out in Christ. So th- that's what happened at the cross. And, and 2 Corinthians four four is talking about that that passing away age of Satan's reign. Um, why did God create Satan? Satan is found with evil in him. It, you know, is it bad to allow the bad guy out of jail? So you know, Satan is. Uh, uh, he he was bringing up how why would God even like create evil? You know, why is it even why is it even uh, thing. Why did God uh, allow Satan, who's the bad guy, out and let him loose uh, on the earth, right? You know, and the best I can come up with on the spot was just, obviously, it makes for a good story, you know. And he found that ridiculous, which, I mean, I mean that, that's the best I can come up with. That is a pretty ridiculous answer. The best I can give for a theodicy to why God allowed evil, um, he – in the same sense that a cookie corrupts without – if I leave it on the table without me putting it in the fridge – um, it, it'll slowly break down and, and enzymes and, you know, bacteria will start to eat it. Uh, by virtue of us being creatures, we have the ability to be corruptible. So does Satan. So God acted in such a way in his providence that he withheld his hand so that the cookie would crumble, so that the cookie would be corrupted. So God through secondary causes of namely like the corruption of the cookie, uh, God is still, he's the one ordaining that Satan would fall. But he's doing it in such a way through secondary causes that he's not the primary one causing evil. Um, so that's what I think the Bible teaches, that obviously God ordains whatever comes to pass, even the evil things, even, even um, Judas. Judas was created just to go to hell. Uh, God worked in ways while not, not choosing Judas, not regenerating his heart to keep him from doing the evil things that he did. So that's my best theodicy. I can give, and I I think that's sufficient for me. The the problem is that he's so – he's like, why would God even create evil? Why is – why is is there – why would God allow bad things to happen if he's a benevolent God? The problem with him asking that question is (laughs) there's – he has no ethical system to to pose the question from. Uh, At least my God uh, is just and solves the problem of evil through his son. And we'll we'll make all things new and wipe away every every tear. The atheist, when he sees bad things happen, he says, "Well, nothing we can do. You know, whatever. That's you know, it's not like we can really change much. Uh, we can do the best we can. Eventually, we'll probably solve the problem once technology increases and we can control more things. But, um, yeah, yeah, it's wrong and it's bad, but whatever. That's the best we can do. So, so the saint. Uh, sorry, not, not Satan. Um, the atheist can't deal with the problem of evil either and the christian actually can because god triumphs over evil light triumphs over darkness he continued to keep the conversation on us instead of talking about the real world he kept saying that like oh me and you are both operating under a christian worldview so let's keep the conversation here the only the only problem is i'm being consistent he's being inconsistent he didn't want to talk about the masochist or the person that cuts themselves or or the mass murderer uh he didn't want to say you know why why do they end up like that if it's so if it's so obvious if it's so self-evident to humans That uh, we should do no harm, like his ethical system that he was posing. If it's so self-evident and obvious, you know, why are there so many people that do evil things? It might be because we have a sinful nature and it's not that obvious. And when you suppress the truth. Um, Here's another textual thing he brought up, Matthew 27, 5 through 8. And uh, this is talking about Judas. And he threw the pieces of silver into the temple sanctuary and left. And he went away and hanged himself. The Chief Priest took the pieces of silver and said it is not lawful to put them in the Temple treasury since it is money paid for blood and they conferred together with the money bought from the Potter's field as a burial place for strangers for this reason that field has been called the field of blood to this day so in this in this uh, instance he uh, Judas hangs himself, but then in acts one eighteen through nineteen the Bible contradicts itself uh in uh, verses 18 and 19 of Acts chapter 1. Now this man acquired a field with the price of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his intestines gushed out, and it became known to all the residents of Jerusalem. As a result, that field was called hakeldama in their own language, that is, field of blood. So we have some continuity here where both accounts are saying that it's called the field of blood. So there's some continuity. But the difference is that one says he hanged himself. The other one says that he fell He fell in this field uh, and his intestines, he, and he burst open, and his intestines gushed out. So which one is it? Now, what I was trying to say in the podcast is, you know, this actually shows the validity of the historicity of the Bible. Because if you had a fabrication of multiple different eyewitness accounts and it was fabricated, you would have like all the exact same details. They, they would try their hardest to say the exact same thing lockstep so they can appear as being genuine. But that's near impossible to fabricate a story like that. Um this actually lends itself to the to the historicity of the bible the validity of the of the scriptures that um we have these seemingly contradictory um accounts of what happens to Judas and i think it is very likely that what's being articulated here is that um he hang him, he hung himself on that tree and eventually his body started to decay and it crumbled and the the branch broke and he was starting to be eaten out by maggots and worms uh, and flies were landing on him and eating out his body. And then when he fell, he burst open and all his intestines gushed out. So um, it's just it's just a, a more, more information about the narrative of what happened to Judas. It's not contradictory. It's actually just paradoxical if you add a supposition that reconciles the two things. This is a paradox, not a contradiction. Okay, another contra- apparent contradiction he brought up. Genesis 2. So... Uh, This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made earth and heaven. Now, no shrub of the field was yet on the earth and no plant of the field had yet sprouted for the Lord had not yet sent rain on the earth and there was no man to cultivate the ground. He says that, um, it's, you know, mankind has already been created at this point, um, in the narrative and in, in the second chapter here of Genesis, but, but actually vegetation was created before humans were in Genesis chapter one. And Moses penning this probably in the same night as he was writing this was stupid enough to screw this up just a few sentences later. I I don't think that that's the case. And the reason that that's not the case is because the word for plant is actually different in the two accounts. The word for plant in, in Genesis chapter one is just general, like plants in general, wild plants. But actually, the word shrub here in verse 5 is uh, "saya," And in uh, Genesis 1, the word is desay. And even the context shows shows what it's really getting out. That for there was no man to cultivate the ground. This is talking about agriculture. This is talking about um, cultivated plants for human – a human-produced cultivated plant. That's what this is talking about. There are – it had not happened yet. God had not sent rain yet for the man to cultivate the ground. It was being it was being uh, watered through the mist that comes up through uh, the surface of the ground, like the dew, the dew that uh, after nighttime. So that's what's happening there. And then he brings up that uh, in Genesis 2, 18 through 20, we have, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And out of the ground of the earth, Lord God uh, the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would do. So mankind is created, which the animals came before mankind in Genesis 1. And then all of a sudden we see here in Genesis 2, he says, let's get a, let's get a helper for this guy. And then it seems like God all of a sudden just creates the animals, which which would be contradictory from the narrative of what happens in Genesis 1. But actually in in, in uh, verse 19 here, it says, for the Lord God had formed It had already happened. He had formed every animal and then he brought them to the man. So that's actually past tense. So it doesn't work there. Um, God is bringing all the animals to show that he's going to make a special helper suitable for him, made in the image of God, just as he was. Um, And it was not, no no helper was suitable for what his mission, his mission on earth to to multiply and reproduce and subdue the earth. So, you know, that, that kind of solves that problem. Uh, he he talked about no one has seen Yahweh yet. There's all these uh, verses of Moses seeing God and Jacob seeing him uh, and wrestling with him. This is the pre-incarnate Christ. This is this is God coming down and incarnating Himself and veiling Himself in flesh to uh, wrestle with Jacob or to come with Moses or to, or to eat with uh, with Abraham and the oaks of Mamre. Um, that's what's happening there. No one has seen Yahweh in his full glory, in his full unveiled glory because you would die. Even the angels have to have wings. They can't even see his full glory. That's the claim of the Bible. The claim is not that Moses and Jacob fully saw God. That's not what's happening. Uh, they, in the same sense that I could read God's word and truly know who he is, Moses and Jacob could, could see and, and be with God in a special way without having his un- unveiled full glory in the same sense that Christ took on flesh and veiled his glory. And during the transfiguration, his His, fi- his face shone like like the sun, just like Moses' face shone when he was shown a glimpse of God. Um, so that's what's happening there. The Bible's not contradicting itself. Um, so I don't have to, he brought up how like, you know, everyday life, I don't have to forgive people through bloodshed. So why does God have to? You know why don't I require bloodshed to forgive my wife when when she does me wrong uh why don't i why don't I require that because the Bible teaches that without uh, blood there is no remission of sins well what what the Bible is teaching there is that without blood there is no remissions of sin before God now concerning mankind, man doesn't sin against man in such a way where every every single sin requires death um for instance, the sin of the sin of lying doesn't require death, or the sin of stealing doesn't require death. You're supposed to just make restitution and give back. But the but the sin of murder towards man, man does require blood for that. So, uh, I don't require bloodshed for people that sin against me because I don't have the. It's not a such a such a severe sin against me that I require bloodshed for it. But there is all sin is so severe against God that bloodshed is required because again, God is thrice holy. there's a much bigger difference between somebody sinning against me and somebody sinning against God. that's the Christian position he's again misconstruing and creating this he, it's the fallacy of equivocation he's trying to equivocate the two sorry he is equivocating the two and when they're when they're not they're not to be compared. sinning against God and sinning against humans is much different. Um, does the Bible teach that life starts at, at first breath abortion is not taught in the Bible? okay there's so many texts that that literally um, Paul says in Galatians that he was known before the foundation of the world uh psalm one thirty nine says that you knit me together and formed me in my mother's womb, and you knew me psalm fifty one says in iniquity was I born uh, there's a Levitical law that says if a man kills uh like accidentally hits a woman in such a way that the fetus dies then then uh he is to be put to death I think or there's there's something that I think he's put to death, and it's because there's life in the womb, but he brought up that Numbers five, eleven through 31 actually does teach that uh, abortion is fine. Um, and in this, there's a woman, if, if a man becomes jealous and thinks that uh, his wife has cheated on him, then there's this test given where this woman drinks bitter water. Um, and what it says in 21 is, Then the priest shall have the woman swear that the oath of the curse, and the priest shall say to the woman, May the Lord make you a curse and an oath among your people uh, by the Lord's making your thigh shrivel up and your belly swollen. And this water that brings a curse shall go into your stomach and to make your belly swell up and your thigh shrivel, and the woman shall say, Amen, Amen. So this is a supernatural test that God is giving where this water is, is drank, this bitter water, and the goal of it is nothing will happen if the woman has not committed adultery, and if something has happened, then, it, then her thigh will shrivel up and her belly will become swollen. Um, this no, in no way, shape, or form is talking about aborting. It, it says a thigh. It's talking about her abdomen. It's not talking about a baby being murdered. It's not talking about trying to pass and abort a baby or a miscarriage. That's not what's happening. It says her thigh and her belly will be swollen. It says nothing about a child. This is this is not what's happening here. It's not an abortion. Uh, moving on, another uh, objection he brings up. You know, does God speak to us? He said Spider Man speaks to me through my comics. What's the difference, right? Like, wh- why is um, why is Spider Man not? Why can't I claim Spider Man is? I have a relationship with Spider Man. Um, If he speaks to me through his comics now, again, he's misconstruing and he's, again, I didn't have an, I didn't even, I wasn't even able to actually say what Christians truly believe about our relationship with God. He says, nobody has a relationship like that, where you just pray and talk to the air and you read a book, you know, you read a biography about something. That's not a real relationship. No, it's not. It's not a real relationship, but that's not what happens when you read God's word. He says, we believe that God sends his spirit to indwell us. And there is an internal witness of the Holy Spirit. And we truly get to know who God is through his spirit, opening our eyes and ears. So it's a spiritual relationship, which actually for the Christian is a much better and a more powerful relationship than a physical relationship. That's the difference. He's not understanding. He has no metaphysical understanding at all in the world. Therefore, he thinks it's foolish that we would say that you can have a relationship with God by reading his word and claiming to be dwelt in the spirit and speaking out loud into the air. And you can't even hear him speak or do anything. And it's actually because I think I have a better relationship with him than I can have with any human. That's the claim of the Christian. He brings up, does God feel pain in the atonement to Christ? I I, I maintain the hypostatic union, the the dual natures of Christ, two natures, fully man, fully God. That is how we reconcile. You know, did God feel pain? No, He didn't. But concerning Christ's human nature, yes, He did feel pain, and He in and, and the curse was laid on Him. That's where we have the two natures of Christ, where where Christ can actually truly represent us and bear our sin. Is God's eternal judgment loving? Right? To, to throw babies into hell forever that are not guilty. Again, if you, if you are a Christian and you believe that there's such a thing as sin and sinning against God, he's perfectly right to do that. If you believe there is no God, then you think it's stupid that a Christian would believe such a thing. So yes, God's eternal judgment is loving because he has to, in the same sense that he wants to not harm his neighbor and he wants to make things right. You know, Mike wants to, wants to, you know, live as a Christian. God will make every right. He will give a full judgment in, in eternal conscience torment in hell, in hell to make all uh, wrongs right. So um, the atheist can't account for laws of logic and reason. We brought this up a few times in our discussion. Uh, he can't give an account for where the law of non-contradiction comes from. He's an atheist. He doesn't think that there. – again, like, if he wants to accept that there's a metaphysical reality to the world, that there's, there's non-physical things – well then, he's going to have to. He's not an atheist anymore. He's going to have to rethink. If you are an atheist, then you must be. If you don't believe that there's a god or any higher power, then you must be a, a, a materialist. That, that's all there is. That, that's all. That's all you can appeal to because you're just. You're just. There, there's no god. There's no spiritual nature to anything. So, if he wants to use the laws of logic and reason and the law of non contradiction, he's going to have to at least not be an atheist anymore. He could try to be another another religion, like a, a, he could even try New Age spirituality and try to give it an account for, for where laws of logic and reason come from. But these are metaphysical principles that he abides by on a daily basis that make it very abundantly clear that he's not an animal, that he's made in the image of God. So, he made that clear the whole, our whole conversation. He's made in the image of God. Uh, I respect him for that. I don't hate him. Um, in his humanity at all. I want him to know Christ. I want him to repent and to turn to Christ, to bend the knee. And, um, obviously I wasn't ready for the conversation. Um, I thought I was going to just talk about what I believe, which I know very well. Like I just went through, you know, talking about some of these things, but instead he wanted to talk about a bunch of random textual things in the Bible and, and bring up, (laughs) you know, just, there were some things I was able to respond to that I stand by, but I wasn't, hopefully the, the textual stuff, you know, you feel satisfied and, how I was able to uh, respond to that just now. Um, so he, he doesn't have the tools that he thinks he has to claim the things he claims about not doing harm to his neighbor and uh, empathy and common sense. He can't give an account for where these things come from. Um, history attests to itself time and time again that to believe that there's no God makes you a fool. Uh, you, you can't live as a human. Uh, you can live as an animal, uh, a human animal, and be an atheist. But you can't live like a human – humans have lived for thousands of years and not believe in a God. It's instrumental to the human experience because God created us. We are made in his image. Our souls cry out to him. Um, so, yeah, go check out the interview with him. And if you want some, have some fun, go, go look at the YouTube comments uh, for the video. It was very hateful and spiteful and people were calling me mentally challenged, you know, that I'm an idiot, uh, you know, which is fine. I mean – of course, they're going to think I'm an idiot because of what I believe. But, but again, they, they have no <laughs> – they can't say I'm doing anything wrong because they don't know it. They're agnostic. They don't know anything. They can't say anything for certain. And I didn't even get to solipsi- – I didn't even get to talk to him about solipsism, the, prob- the problem of the, – the brain and the bat problem. How can he trust his senses? How can he trust that the, the future is going to be like the past? How can he um, How can he solve the problem of solipsism that the only thing that he can prove that exists is his own brain? Um, he, can't, he can't solve these problems. He doesn't have the tool. He must become a Christian to solve the most basic problems of human existence. So, yeah, I mean, he kept calling me a scary man that I believe in very scary things. I believe in justice, love, righteousness. I don't believe in winking at sin, that when evil things happen, I think that we should actually right the wrong. That's what I believe. But he was laughing at God's law. That God would actually put the death penalty on such minor infractions. When, when really, it's not a minor infraction when you get Uvalde school shootings, right? It's a big deal. The family is a big deal to God. Rape is a big deal to God. Fornication is a big deal. Um, adultery is a big deal to God. These death penalty laws actually just show how important and integral these things are to society. They're not to be – we're not to be ashamed of these things. We're not to be ashamed of God's law at all in any way, shape, or form. Um, yeah, I think, that, I think that's all I have to say. So go check out the podcast. Go check out his podcast, and it'll help equip you to how to defend defend uh, God's word. I wish I could have had a more fruitful discussion with him. I think he was extremely dishonest in the way uh, he kind of misled me about what we were going to be talking about. I wasn't ready for half the things that he was going to be talking about. Usually, if you go back and listen to my – I had an agnostic atheist on my podcast, my friend Keegan. And uh, I gave him the whole first episode of a three-part series to just explain his worldview. I didn't push back. I didn't actually talk about anything. I let him explain everything he believes. And guess what? And then after that, for the the next two parts, we actually talked about it. And we had a great discussion. It's a good discussion. Uh, But this discussion with Mike was just to, I think, probably rile up his audience to call me mentally challenged and to make me look like an idiot. Um, Because if we actually prepared – he wouldn't be able to answer my objections because I wasn't even able to actually get to them and tell him what I actually believe about the world. So, um, I hope that makes sense. I don't want st- to, again, I don't think we, we should be just stoning people all willy nilly. I think there's a measure of repentance that comes. I don't think it even has to be stoning. I think that we should just have some kind of law that shows how important certain things are in, in, in God's world and in human society. I don't think individuals should be doing this. I don't want to stone anybody. That's not my desire. I want justice and I want society to thrive. I want to live according to God's law. I want to please God. And the civil government is the one that dishes out these, not the church. Um, Notice how they were brought to the elders of the land, not to the priests. The elders of the land determine these things. I think the civil government is how you know these, these are to be dished out. Punishments, just like we do it today, obviously. When people go to jail, it's the civil government. You don't have the church going around and policing and creating a vigilante militia where they go out and arrest people. It's not what happens in Christian circles. That's not what people want. I don't want to spread Christianity through the sword. But I do want the civil government to recognize the existence of God and our rights that come from God and the laws that come from God. And I want us to live according to that because I think society would be much better off that way. And not in a secular atheistic society because we're going to get all the wacko craziness we get now um, where the government really does think itself God, that it can create currency fiat, can create value out of nothing, that abortion is okay, um, to trample upon what's right, righteous, and noble, to be able to lie to the public. um, As we've seen all the CDC and NIH walking back all the COVID stuff, right? It's okay to lie to the public. It's okay to push through experimental vaccines, right? We have so many wicked things happening because a lot of our society is – it's a secular atheistic society, which is a theocracy. All the laws that you're seeing, all the things that are allowed are because of the religion of atheism. So that's my claim with theocracy. I don't want the church to be – I don't want an ecclesiocracy. I don't want the church to be the civil government. I want the civil government to be its own jurisdiction, but I want it to recognize that God is the lawgiver and God is the one ruling. So concerning all the metaphysical things, I want to live in a the theocracy. And, and I do live in a theocracy now, but not a good one. Not one that's under the rulership of Christ. And um, I want a constitutional republic through and through. I, I love our form of government. It's amazing. So that, that's not my problem, Okay. So that's not what I – that's what I mean about theocracy. That is – that's what I believe. I don't think it's as scary as he was painting it to be out. Um, I think it's much scarier what he is supporting in terms of a secular atheistic society where there's no problem ending up in uh, communist Stalin or Mao's – right. Sorry. Stalin's communism in Russia or or, uh, uh, Mao's uh, communism in China. Those are allowable under an atheistic worldview, but under a Christian worldview, that's not allowable. So uh, I, I am scared for our society, um, as they are afraid that they're that they they love doing their wickedness, and what they're afraid of is Christians getting power and actually saying that you know lying is wrong, and and committing adultery is wrong, and fornication is wrong, and rape is wrong. You know uh, they don't they don't want to be exposed like that, and that's why it's so scary for them what I'm teaching. But it's equally – and it actually is scary what they're teaching that there's no such thing as morals. Um, that's what atheism comes down to. And that's why your most consistent atheists uh, – like Richard Dawkins says, there's 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 no meaning in the world, just blind, pitiless, indifference. And I don't know how you get from a thought like that to that you should do no harm because who cares, right? Um so your your consistent atheist will be like Nietzsche or Richard Dawkins. You'll get those people, but then you'll get the inconsistent atheist like Mike, where he wants all of Christianity's morals besides the you know the laws he thinks are ridiculous. But he wants stuff like you know doing to others as you have done unto you, and, and show so show well he he thinks empathy, but you should show sympathy, um, and common sense and rationality and reason. He wants all that stuff, but you, you don't get that in atheism. Richard Dawkins. His leaders, the people that lead his movement, the new atheists, like totally understand that. (laughs) Um, Maybe not Sam Harris, but uh, at least Dawkins does and Nietzsche and uh, a lot of these guys. So one of the scariest things about atheism is the idea of rights. If God does not give us our rights that are binding um, on all men, regardless of who you are or what station of life you're in or or even who you're talking to, we're all being – all of us being made in the image of God, and uh, for the atheist, rights come from some kind of organizing force in the world, which is usually the state. For the atheist, so b- again, he wants to assert it throughout this entire interview his ethical system, um, but but his his rights can only be established by some some power, either either himself and what he thinks is is right, or for, by the state. So I think one of the scariest parts – the reason my worldview is not scary is because all humans are bound by something outside of themselves. What's scary about atheism is mankind, usually organized in the state, is going to be the final buttress of truth. Uh, Your rights will come from the state. And we know what happens when your rights come from the state. That means they're arbitrary and humans hate arbitrary rulers and and the oppressed cry out in instances like that. I think that's all I got for you. Thanks for listening to the For the King podcast. Um go listen to that interview. I hope it's it's edifying. I tried my best. Um go look at the YouTube comments. It's very scary. People are calling me mentally challenged and you know, I'm just a stupid idiot. So, yeah. Um let's yeah, let's respond in love. Let's uh pray for our enemies we want them to repent and to turn to Christ. Let's let's not answer a fool according to his folly. Let's show him his folly. That's what I tried to do the whole podcast where I kept saying he doesn't have any morality to stand on. And he kept saying you're, you know, your god is a documented child killer, um which is just that's a very um pithy way for him to try to make me feel bad for for the god I worship and and I don't at all. I have no shame for worshiping Yahweh. And and he's perfectly right to kill children that have inherited guilt from adam they're not innocent little doves okay um they are concerning us they haven't they haven't done any any wrong to a human yet they're innocent concerning us but they're not innocent concerning god and that's why god has allowed those things to happen so i hope that makes sense um you know there's still more things to talk about about why god would allow certain things like why did he command um the israelites to go in and to wipe out whole people groups why did he um Allow slavery, things like that. Maybe I can address that in another episode, but as you could see from this episode, there's always answers to these kind of hard things. And, and really, when you understand it, when, when push comes to shove, it's actually not as hard as you think it is to have a good answer for these things. So, thanks for listening to the King of the Ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. solely Deo, Lord.